Rocky Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Obviously, this sounds a little bit different. It's Eric Dean of Mile High Sports bringing us in and joined by Ryan Bolding of NHL.com. We're giving JJ another day off. Obviously, we haven't been here in about a week uh, for obvious reasons. JJ's in the hospital today, February 15th. And uh, as of a couple hours ago, I believe, welcomed his firstborn child, young Felix Jerez, into the world. So... Everybody go congratulate JJ when you get a chance. But while he's away, the Avalanche are still on board, and we got Ryan Bolding to take over for a little bit. So say what's up to the people, Ryan. Hello, everybody. It's been a minute since I've been <laughs> on the, the old potty. And it sounds like we might have another Felix the Cat on our hands here. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ryan and JJ started this podcast many moons ago, and then I moved here and somehow wiggled my way in. And now Ryan's at NHL.com. And JJ's got a kid, so if you are looking to be a podcast co-host, I think I lost my guy. Just kidding. He'll be back. That's that's the hope, and that's the plan, but uh, we'll take over a little bit now, obviously. We're going to keep the mood a little light here, despite the avalanche uh, failing to come away with another victory, but let's talk about it. So let's start with that Tampa Bay game yesterday at Ball Arena, Tuesday night. The avalanche take a 2 to nothing lead. Then they take a 3-2 to two lead, thanks to a goal from who else but... Dennis Malgin, and then they give up that lead as well. They lose it in the shootout after a very dull overtime. So let's start with your thoughts, Ryan. How was that game to you yesterday? You know, it seemed like just another third period kind of meltdown. Uh, you know, Evan Rall from Colorado Hockey Now had tweeted before the start of the, the third period, it's been nine games since the Avalanche had scored a goal in the third period on a goalie. And you could kind of see that obviously Morgan gets a big goal. Um, but just these third periods have been a real concern. Like the, the inability to close out a game, the inability to really put teams away, you know, extend the game out of reach, I think has been a real issue with this team lately. And, you know, they went on a losing streak. They went on a winning streak. You get a break and here we are coming out of this break, stumbling again. You know, it's something about time off and, and maybe losing the rhythm. But the third periods of games are a real concern, I think, right now. Yeah, 100%. I mean, starting, we haven't talked since uh, JJ and I kind of recapped the Pittsburgh game where they lost that one late in regulation. Um, but if you count that game in this game, I mean, it's been four games since the All-Star break. The Avs are 1-1-2. One, one, and two. They could very easily be 3-1 and one if they were able to put these games away. The Pittsburgh yeah. game, they gave up the tying goal late. The Tampa Bay game, they didn't give up the tying goal late. It was early in the third, but they gave up two game tying goals in the third. You can't come into the third period. I mean, like gone are the days where the Avalanche would have a 28-0-1 record when leading entering the third. Obviously, the NHL is a different ball game now. It's hard to keep those leads, but a 2-1 to one lead and then shortly thereafter a 3-2 to two lead. Both of them washed away in the third period, obviously unable to get that winner in, in overtime in the shootout which both of them at this point are coin flips and we'd be having a far different conversation if the avalanche won both of those but that's that's been the issue lately it's been their third period play and you know outside of the dennis malgan goal and maybe those last five minutes where both teams were exchanging chances and regulation and it was a lot of fun there just wasn't much from the abs in that final period after the first 40 minutes where I think they put up almost 17 shots per period. It was 17, then 16. They were getting a lot of opportunities and really trying to pepper a goalie that you need 40 or 50 shots to get a third or fourth one past him. Yeah, I think, you know, if you go back to the start of the game and Arturi Lekkinen scores 50 seconds in, like when you take a lead that early in a game, it should be your game. And I talked to Steven Stamkos post game and he said it took them two periods to really find their legs and that, you know, it's been a while since they've played in Denver, but they were feeling the altitude, you know, they were, it took them a little while to get in it. And that's where the avalanche used to kind of have that killer instinct and they would just run teams out of the building, right? They just take it to them. And then there's also that dynamic of, you know, if it was close or if they were behind, they could come back and win. And now you you just don't get that that sense of that mental attitude from them. Like they let a team like Tampa hang around long enough and let Vasilevsky do Vasilevsky things. And then all of a sudden you're going into overtime, you're going into the shootout. And now, like you said, it's a coin toss in a game that could have easily been won in the first two periods. What do you think is the main reason why this is happening? I think it's really 
you know, uh, an over-reliance on the prime talent and not enough support from the depth and really just a, a lack of, of the talent needed to, to win. You know, the, this team is missing key pieces. I think they're missing their biggest internal cheerleader in their captain, you know, a guy who is very serious but can keep things very light. You know, the, the absence of Kale McCarr, um, very much shifts this from a an offensively lethal defensive unit to you know a more average defensive unit, um, and I'm constantly curious what it is about Curtis McDermott that allows him to to stay in the lineup. And I don't think he is a an unintelligent hockey player. I just don't think that his skill set is high enough to really complement what this team is trying to do, especially in games against like in games against teams like Tampa Bay. I think the the biggest issue I have with McDermott, touching on that real quick, is last year when the Avalanche were using him, I mean, obviously they've this team has lost a lot of depth. That's literally been the storyline of the season is how how much they've lost in guys like Kadri and Burakovsky have combined more than 50 goals. And then obviously Gabe Landeskog's 30 regulation goals in only 50 some games. Uh they've lost a lot of talent. The the biggest thing for me with Curtis McDermott is when you're playing him on defense rather than at forward, his deficiencies are going to show a lot more because one of six blue liners is a heck of a lot more important, especially when the other team has a breakout and you look in the avalanche's zone and it's defenseman X and Curtis McDermott. That's where the issue lies for me is playing him at defense gives him way more responsibility than playing him at forward. The problem with this team is, you know, we've talked, JJ and I pretty much all season that Andreas Engelin and Brad Hunt are pretty much your new Jack Johnson, Ryan Murray. You have your top six, obviously post acquiring Josh Manson last year, you have your top six and then your two extras heading into the playoffs were Ryan Murray and Jack Johnson. Those are now Engelin and Hunt. Those guys are both in the lineup, but you still got to play Curtis McDermott because no Kel McCarr, no Josh Manson, now no Eric Johnson. So they are decimated. The depth has gotten to them. The biggest thing that I would say is is ultimately that's what it leads into is if you ask me what the biggest issue is and why these you know games are being blown away in the third, it is their defensive play. Because, I mean, they are giving up this year. I think it's 32.3 shots per game. And last season was right around 32. So it is a similar amount of shots per game, but something about the shot quality, I don't have the numbers ahead up, up right now, and I should have done that research ahead of time, but... Something about that shot quality that they're allowing this year just seems a lot more dangerous. And uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to agree with you totally, and I remember being struck by this moment in the game last night where Tampa was on the power play, and Curtis McDermott was the defenseman covering yeah. Nikita Kucherov, and you're just yeah. like, how did how did this happen? You know, somebody asked John Cooper uh, in the morning whether or not he would try and get his matchups the way he did when he was the home coach. And, you know, he kind of, kind of scoffed it off, but I think he got that a little bit. And oh, he at did. one point in the third period, I leaned over to Evan who I sit next to in the press box. And I was like, Tampa has massively increased their ability to find time and space in this period. Like all of a sudden they were doing like Harlem Globetrotter esque you know, multi-shift passes where they were dropping back and using guys with speed to blow through kind of defensive walls and moving around. And it just seemed like all of a sudden there was a, one guy open with enough time to move, to think, to draw players to him, to open it up for another guy. And, and that's, like you said, that's where the, the depth comes in, the, the talent level of who is defending, you know, breakdowns, mental breakdowns a little bit. And it's, it's not like this team is in a dire situation. You know, they're in a good spot. We've heard Jared Bednar recently say it's not about being first in the division. It's not about, you know, getting uh, so far ahead in points that you have time to rest. It's just about getting in. It's about, you know, maximizing what you can now. And I think, you know, kind of developing a blueprint for success when you're in. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. It's the blueprint of the blueprint for success. The exact phrase was, uh, "We just got to get in and hope to be healthy by then." But I think there's a little bit, there's a there's a lot to be said about the way they're playing right now. Like there's a lot to be said about the habits they're building right now. The blueprint that you know you can you can 
you know, snap your fingers and it's two months from today, it's April 15. I think there would be just one more game, April 16, the rescheduled Nashville one. Uh, Val Nachushkin, you know, is fully healthy. He's not shaking off any more rust. Kale McCarr's back in the lineup. Josh Manson's back. Pavel Francouz is back. Uh, Eric Johnson, you know, if not back late regular season, probably playoffs. Gabe Landeskog's back. Uh, you went out and acquired a second line center, whether it's a bigger name like Taves or O'Reilly, whether it's a, a smaller name, let's say Sean Monahan, Adam Henrique, whatever. You've brought all that in. At that point, playing the way they've been playing the last couple of weeks, there are still some issues. And obviously yeah. those additions are going to fix a lot of those issues. Uh, not having to play Curtis McDermott, being able to play Josh Manson, uh, not having to play Ben Myers or Dennis Malgin or all these guys that just don't seem like they have a place in the lineup this season. And I want to reiterate this season for Ben Myers to say, cause you know, there's still hope that he would develop into something. Um, you know, it would look a heck of a lot different. The problem is you don't have those guys back right now. So the guys that are playing, there needs to be a better showing. I mean, that's just the reality. When you look at the PK, like, yes, they were four for four. They were successful. They successfully killed off or all four, but think back to Jared Bednar's comments yesterday, post game, uh, when he was asked about the defense and how it's decimated, he went out of his way to mention Devon Taves, Bowen Byram and Sam Gerard. They all played great. Those are our three guys. They had to play a lot, blah, 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 blah. He pretty much made it be known that Brad Hunt, Andreas Englund, and Curtis McDermott shouldn't be playing right now. But the problem is Curtis McDermott played 1451, Andreas Eklund, Englund, 1449, and uh, Brad Hunt was at 1316. So that's a lot of minutes you're giving to guys that you just have no trust in. So this is the hand you're dealt. You got to find a way to make it work. And it just seems like they're struggling with that. Tampa Bay is getting really good looks. I mean, again, the PK was successful, but there was a turnover late that led to the Nemesnikov goal. I believe the turnover was by McDermott. Uh, and, and these issues are just kind of piling on one by one. And you're at a point where there's only so many times you can say we had a great effort, came away with one point, take the point and move on. Cause that's now happened twice in the last week since the all-star break. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's the, the highlight of the time on ice stats that you mentioned is also Devon Taves played over 30 minutes. And yeah. I think that was his second highest career total, or at least his, his highest total since he set a career high. And that speaks to the lack of confidence in the bottom guys. And I don't even think England and hunt have been bad. You know, there've been times where England has been a scratch and McDermott has been in where I'm like, yeah, what is the mindset behind this? You know, I, maybe, maybe McDermott can make a smarter play. I don't necessarily blame him for that, uh, tying goal from Nemestikov. I think somebody else forced the puck up the boards and it was held in by Corey Perry, who kind of was JT. Yeah. Kind of threw it into McDermott's wheelhouse and Nemeskov just swooped in, stick lifted him, you know, made a deke. It was a hell of a play by him really. Um, but caught guys standing still. And that's kind of where I'm talking about Tampa finding all this time and space. You know, you mentioned earlier, I had to look it up. Peter Baugh had tweeted uh, from natural stat trick in the third period at five on five, the lightning out chance they have 13 to five had more high danger chances in a five to one ratio and had 67% of the expected Jeez. goals. Like they really, really turned it on and came out and, and uh, to a degree obliterated them at five on five. And now you look moving forward, like Josh Manson is close to returning and that's a big piece, right? Having Bowen Byram coming back, I think was big too. Maybe it shifts the dynamic a little bit in the, in the routine and the, the, the comfort of the system that had been working. And so it takes a little time to adjust, just like it's going to take some time for him to, you know, adjust to game speed again. I talked to him about that a little bit. We talked to Bednar about it in the morning. You know, Byram has been coming along. I think he's looked pretty good. And what he brings, you know, if if both he and Makar are in the lineup, that brings that puck-moving quickness, that speed, and that intelligence that the defense needs to play this up-tempo Jared Bednar style of game. But I don't see a problem with, you know, an England hunt as the bottom pairing. But they need to be sheltered. And the problem is they are not being sheltered. 
right now, you know, and that yeah. is is causing issues. But also when you're having the, the Corey Perry Nemestikov line score against you to tie the game in the third period, like things are not going your way at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And and that kind of speaks volumes about that, you know, that role of playing kind of in over your head and not being sheltered is you're being hemmed in by Nemestikov and Corey Perry. It's not the Kucherov's and point, you know, granted point Kucherov did have that goal, just tough break there. JT Confer misses the net and it rings right down a point for two on one, but yeah, worst case scenario on yeah. a missed the net shot. Yeah. And that was in regulation. That wasn't even in three on three where people always get plays like that and, and are fortunate in that way. But that, that speaks volume to it. These guys are not being sheltered and they're being, you know, beaten by Nemesnikov and Corey Perry, two very skilled hockey players, but nowhere close to the top talent on that team. So that says all you need to know about where the Avalanche are right now with their depth. It's last year in the Stanley Cup final, you could look at both teams, 12 skater, twelve forward skaters, six defensemen, the goalie. Uh, you can even look at the guys that came in and out of the lineup, like Abe Kubel and I think Tampa Bay had a couple guys in and out. Every single player on the ice mattered in the Stanley Cup final. And I know this isn't the Stanley Cup final. It's a game in the middle of February in a regular season, the year after those two teams met in the final. But that that that's the case. Like this has been the issue with the Avalanche all year. Dennis Malgin, yes, he scored a goal and it was a nice shot, but five minutes and 24 seconds is of ice time. Ben Myers, 452. Anglin, McDermott, and uh and Hunt, I just went over it. Neither of them hit 15 minutes. That means your other three defensemen played a lot of minutes, which they did, 24, 24, and 30. A lot of guys on the ice right now that are not going to be effective, that are not players that, you know, ideally you want your last player, or sorry, your least effective player, your worst player, both in terms of talent and effectiveness, to be a Andre, uh, Andrew Cogliano or a Matt Nieto or a Darren Helm if he gets healthy. Like you want those guys to be at the bottom of the food chain, even Logan O'Connor. But right now, those guys are not at the bottom of the food chain. Those are great hockey players that you want on your team. If those guys are at the bottom, that obviously means you have a lot of depth. You have a healthy lineup, which right now, all they need is a healthy lineup for those guys to be at the bottom. But it's because of the constant injuries that's leading to this and, and why there's a lot of issues. But to touch on Josh Manson real quick, Ben Myers was sent down after the game yesterday. Right. So that says to me, Josh is in. I, you know, I don't, it's so hard to read. It's so hard to read because they're flying out, you know, like on a game day, usually they don't call a guy up after three o'clock, but the MO is, you know, at, at 5 PM Eastern, you make a call up because then you don't have to pay a guy his NHL salary for a day, right? You, you pinch some pennies, but they're on the road. It's a back-to-back Minnesota. You, you have to think that, Manson is back. He was a potentially was, I think Jared Bednar's response last night when asked about it, he's, you know, we've known he's close. He participated in morning skate in a regular Jersey and and went through all the motions. Take that as you will, because that doesn't seem to mean a whole lot these days, you know, but my concern with it all is just that the team gets into these desperate stretches where they're like a guy is close and we need him. And you wonder if that pressure gets to the player to the point where he's like, I'm ready to go when he's not ready to go. And then he ends up re-injuring what he was rehabbing, you know, and even even Byram to a degree kind of let it slip that his injury was another lingering thing from last year that they thought was ready and, and wasn't, you know, and we've seen that be very detrimental, like this weird, maybe they came back too soon. And I think that's a real concern here. So it's like, it it would be great for this team to have Josh Manson back, but is he actually ready to come back? And that's not to say he has been great this year. I think, you know, he had some tough stretches at the start where he really wasn't great, but his ability, his talent level, his presence drastically changes this defensive core. Absolutely. He played 10 minutes on December 1st. That was the last game that he played. He was injured in that game. It was at Buffalo. But in the previous three games, he played only 15 minutes twice. 
So he didn't have his best showing, you know, kind of late there. He he was great to start the year. Well, not great to start the year. He was kind of shaky to start the year. Then he got really good. Then he was a little more inconsistent. But this is exactly what we saw from Josh Manson last year in the regular season. Obviously, he was joining a new team. He was getting reacclimated. And then he was he was great in the playoffs, minus a couple of games where he made some tough turnovers. But this is what you expect from a guy like Josh Manson. When you have him in the lineup, my biggest issue is not just the fact of what you just said, where maybe that pressure gets to them. They want to come back earlier, um, which for Josh, he's been out since December 1st. It's wild to think that he could be rushing back earlier because what the hell's kept him out for two and a half months that needs more time. But it's the fact that when you bring these guys back to a lineup that's injured the way this team has been, uh, you know, Kale McCarr is not going to play against Minnesota, I don't think. Um you know, unless for some reason he's cleared and he's going to shed the red non-contact and skate the very next day in a game, uh, which I just don't think that's likely. So you're not going to have Kale. You still don't have Eric Johnson. So now Josh Manson's joining a lineup where he's got to play way more minutes than Josh Manson usually plays. And that's where my issue is. It's not the fact that he's coming back uh, or potentially coming back early. It's the fact that this is kind of like savior mentality. It's any guy that comes back, it's like, remember when Darren Helm came back? How like big a news that was? We all love Darren Helm. He's a great player, but it shouldn't have been as big a you know as big a story as it was because this is supposed to be your fourth line center. He played five games. He was ineffective in them, and then he went away again. So that's been the issue: is that these guys aren't coming back all at once, where you can slot them into the positions they belong in. They're coming back one by one. Where Bowen Byram, you know, he's a great defenseman and should be playing a lot of minutes, but he's already well over twenty four in his games. Josh Manson hadn't reached the 20 game mark in his last seven or eight games that he played before injury. You better believe if he plays against Minnesota, he's joining the top four. He's playing well over 20 minutes right off the bat. Yeah. Another guy that will be exposed. And the other end of that is, you know, a guy like Devon Taves playing 30 minutes, a guy like Kale McCarr leading the entire NHL among everyone in, in minutes. It was 27 minutes, four seconds on average for Kale McCarr. He had, I think, a couple of 32s this season. And you look at that, like going into the All-Star break, he had some kind of nagging injuries that he had to take some time off and heal. And you're like, these some of these guys, he's young. You know, I think he likes it. He's talked about how he's had to change his game, though, with that that amount of minutes on the regular. But you're at, at risk of running some of these guys into the ground before even getting to the postseason, where we all know the 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 hockey is much better it's much harder you know it's much more physical yeah and this was something i think it was you that tweeted this but i just got the updated numbers jj and i have talked about this in the past first place in the nhl among forwards and time on ice per game miko rantanen third place nathan mckinnon fifth place arturi lekanen 10th place valerian achushkin so yes val's only played 24 games Nathan McKinnon's only played 41. Brandon has played all 52 and Lekkonen's missed three. But they are among the top 10. Four guys from the Avalanche are among the top 10 in time on ice per game. And, and look at who those names are. Ranton and McKinnon, Lekkonen and Nichushkin. So who does that leave in your top six? It leaves that gaping hole in second line center that you lost in Nazem Kadri. And it has the gaping hole of the captain that's missed all 52 games. So without Kadri, without Landeskog, you know, or a replacement for Kadri, You've got your other top four from the top six of last year's Stanley Cup run playing way more minutes than they should coming off of a long Stanley Cup run coming off of a short summer with hopes of repeating for the Stanley Cup. And and that's a problem. That's a very big issue that this team has right now. And uh, there seems to be no end in sight for fixing that. Like that's that's kind of where they are. And you have to hope or you better hope that over the next I mean, we're 16 days away from the trade deadline. I don't know what Chris McFarland's thinking. I don't know how much he trusts in his team to really push all the chips in like he did last year, but you better hope or believe that he's going to bring in more pieces, bigger names than Matt Nieto, plus some more depth like Matt Nieto, and really give these top guys an opportunity to play fewer minutes. But at the same time, you're in a playoff race. You need them to play big minutes. So you, how do you juggle that? How do you balance that? Yeah, I, I don't think I looked at the top 10. Maybe I had, but... I was struck maybe by it was the, someone else. Somebody tweeted it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely tweeted that. I just couldn't remember if it was 10 or not in there. But the, the point is the only other team in that 
that top list that had multiple players up there was McDavid and Dreisaitl for the Oilers. And that says a lot about the status of other teams. And, you know, the injuries are what they are. I don't think we're making excuses out of them. You know, I don't think this team is making excuses out of them. It's just the fact of the matter. When we were at morning skate yesterday and I'm looking at Matt Nieto, Ben Myers and Dennis Mulgan as a fourth line, that's one of the first times this year I've thought that's what, a fourth line on this team should look like based yeah. on what we've seen. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, finally the, the talent is there. Like, would you want to have Andrew Cogliano and Logan O'Connor on the fourth line with, you know, talent a step above them higher? Absolutely. But I do think those guys have been effective in a true third line role for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what the addition of Matt Nieto and just replacing someone like Martin Kaut with Matt Nieto or even Jacob McDonald playing forward with Matt Nieto has done to this team. But like, I know, look, this team is struggling to be healthy, but if they were healthy, let's say not that this is the way that they would, you know, kind of put the top six, but let's say Landeskog and Rantanen played with McKinnon and Nichushkin and Lekkinen were your second line. You stick a second line center in there. Your third line has Comfort, Newhook, and Rodriguez. Your fourth line has Cagliano, Cagliano, Nieto, O'Connor, Helm, you know, a kind of litter of guys there. Obviously, without Helm, none of those guys play center. So you can flip Newhook with O'Connor, whatever. But fully healthy, just the addition of one forward, you have a pretty damn good lineup. The problem is they don't have that health right now, but this is the first time with the addition of Matt Nieto where you have a fourth line. And, and you know, even when you look at Myers and Malgin, they probably shouldn't be full-timers, but they are right now. And, and it still looks better than what they've had all season. So the health of this team is, is a big, big thing that, again, we talked about the habits they're building, but the health of this team is going to matter. Like there's a lot of luck that goes into how healthy you are throughout a season, if you're healthy when the playoffs start. And this team just doesn't have that luck right now. And and if they don't get it, they're not going to have a long run. And you have to think, like, lineup-wise, this team is still better than what we've had earlier in the year where, <laughs> you know, Dryden Hunt is playing second-line wing or Sampo Ranta is playing second-line wing or, you know, choose your Colorado Eagle call-up is jumping into, you know, 10 to 14 minutes on the second line and everybody's surprised, like, well, I guess, you know, this guy can't complain about not getting a shot this year when they're getting exposed to real NHL minutes. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real concern, I think, in the long run. But they can only do what they have, and that's kind of been the issue. Like, you know, a team that I think that was lauded for the, the – massive amount of depth that they have has really been exposed for how bare in the cupboard really is. You know, I think I don't, I'm not so sure that anybody really feels like there is enough help in the Eagles to kind of sustain this kind of up and down injury situation. If it were to continue. Yeah. Going into the Finland around that Finland trip before and after it, I believe the second line for a long time was Nichushkin, Newhook, Kaup. So yeah. that's kind of that's that's where the avalanche have been all season. So uh let's move on from the Tampa Bay game and the injuries to two specific injuries in Pavel Fransos and Eric Johnson. Um starting with Fransos, this is gonna kind of tie into our conversation we're gonna have in a second about the back to backs and and uh three straight and just you know perfect timing for one of your two goalies to not be around. But starting with Eric Johnson, yesterday Jared Bedner said Post game, he would be out indefinitely. Uh, no timeline, no idea when he's going to be back. And then when I asked him if there was a chance that he would be out until the playoffs, he said, I don't know, could be. What does this sound like to you? Yeah, I mean, he said it'll be weeks, right? And that's, there are not a lot of weeks remaining, and there's a lot of games to pack in here. It's a concern. Uh, you know, Eric just had a feature come out with, um, Emily from ESPN and I don't know if you had a chance to see it it was great and I while I was watching it was like man I can't wait to to talk to this guy that I've known for a long time and have worked with and have interacted with for a long time about so many different elements of this this little feature on him 
But the one that struck me the most was when he was out with his, you know, concussion issues. He seriously thought about retiring and he was listing off all the injuries he's had. He is a guy that has been very injured. I remember when I worked for the team, he was named an all-star and we went down pregame and shot this cool video with him about how he was going to the all-star game. And then he ended up hurting his knee in the game and not going to the all-star game. And we just had to eat it, you know, like a guy who's been very unfortunate to go through that stuff and a guy who is aging and aging out of his position, I think, which is something to keep in mind in this whole thing. But as a bottom six defensive pairing as a bottom pairing guy he's very solid and dependable and can vacillate into a middle pairing role at times when needed and that's something this team is really gonna miss yeah absolutely but there's also and and again you don't plan these things they kind of fall into your lap but this says to me that in two weeks from now the avalanche are going to throw him on ltir and use that six million to go find help elsewhere whether it's definitely helps in yeah. the last year of a of a an expensive Massive deal. contract, yes, yeah, um, that definitely helps. Yeah, uh, defense help might be something that they need to look at. I mean, that's not something I would have said coming into the season. That's not something I would have said throughout the year, given all the injuries to you know Landeskog and losing Kadri, losing Burakovsky, the in and out of the lineup for Nichushkin, Rodriguez missed some time, McKinnon, etc. But if you're not going to have Eric Johnson until the playoffs, and even then you don't know when he's going to come back when you get there, uh, if that's the case, again, if, 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 you're going to need to use a little bit of that $6 million to go out and acquire someone. It doesn't have to be as big a name as Josh Manson last season, but you are going to have to get a little bit of help there on the blue line as well as at forward. So there just seems to be a lot of things that the Avalanche need to do to fix this lineup, starting with getting their own guys healthy, but also getting reinforcements from elsewhere and, I again like to be a fly on the wall in Chris McFarland and Joe Sackick's offices right now, 16 days out from the trade deadline. There's a lot this team needs. And so much is in flux. It, you know, it seems like daily it changes what this team needs or what they're capable of. Like you, you go from, you know, all they're missing is a, a, a solid second line center. And this is a team that could repeat to, what's more important now a second line center or a defenseman that can fill Eric Johnson's spot and potentially anyone else, you know, are, are we looking at a guy like Ivan Barbashev who, you know, is probably getting moved, although he's in the division. So it's very unlikely <laughs> that they would trade him here, you know, or are you looking at a guy like Ryan O'Reilly where you potentially have like a defenseman in an, in a center yeah, that's body. True. You know, does that help? But then it's also where where's this team's ceiling and where's this team's floor if they continue up and down with these injuries? And is it worth going out and surrendering futures for help now if they're just going to limp into the playoffs and, you know, kind of like slowly run out of gas on the side of the road? Yeah, that's the big thing right now is juggling and, and balancing how much how much of your chips you're going to push in if all of them and 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 the reasoning behind it because again like you can you can go out and trade for Ryan O'Reilly and you can go out and trade for I don't know depth defenseman A I, I don't know who a good name would be not Gavrikov but somebody maybe lesser on the food chain than that and you can bring both these guys and let's say someone for example at the level of Nico Mikola who was just traded to the Rangers you can you can go out and bring in that depth. You can bring in the second line center and, you know, for shits and giggles and go out and acquire one more depth forward. Uh, somebody of the Matt Nieto stature to have in the bottom six. Um, but even when you do all that, are you confident that Landis God will be ready to rock? Are you confident Josh Manson's healthy? Val Nichushkin, are you confident he's even healthy? Uh, are you confident Kel McCarr is going to have his concussion issues behind him? Are you confident you're going to have both your goalies? Because you saw last year, you need both your goalies if you don't have a Vasilevsky. So there's a lot of question marks. Um, really curious how they handle it. Uh, there's a ton to talk about with the trade deadline here in the next 16 days. I'm sure uh, JJ will be back at some point. I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point. But uh, shifting from that to the back-to-backs, um, this is about as terrible timing a schedule as you can have this time of year against the teams you're having it against. Because the Avalanche go from a home game against Tampa, which they were only able to get one point, to a road game tonight, Wednesday, 
against the Minnesota Wild in a back-to-back against the literally the team that you're fighting for positioning with in the Central Division. Then you got two days off. Then you're on the road in St. Louis, a team out of the race, in a back-to-back at home against Edmonton, a team you're fighting for wild-card positioning with. And then going into Friday, Saturday next week, Winnipeg, another team above you in the standings, and then a back-to-back against Calgary at home in a game with a team you're fighting for wild card positioning with. Like it could not be more terribly timed and worse luck than having the back-to-backs be against Minnesota, Edmonton, and Calgary. When this is by design, right? This is, you know, the league's plan is to make the second half of the season a terrible time. Like it's, it's all division games. It's all conference games. It's, you know, some of the tougher things. Like I've always been amazed how, the Penguins used to come in late in the year. You know, I would say this is pretty late in the year for two games against Tampa after, you know, playing a hard fought six game Stanley cup series. And you look at this Minnesota game. Now, luckily I would say that the team hasn't been playing spectacularly. They're, they're three, six and one in their last 10. And they have a plus plus five goal differential. You know, the Avalanche are six, two and two in their last 10. They have a plus 13 goal differential. You look at this game on the calendar three months ago, probably a scheduled loss, right? But now I think there's potential for a win here. It's yep. about resetting from last night. It's about, you know, can Devon Taves come out and play 25 minutes tonight? Are you even asking that of him? If you are not, if you're going to up the the Manson time, should he play the England time, the hunt time, you know, how capable are, are they of withstanding the Caprizovs and Matt Boldies and, and all of that. But the other thing too, is it's, it's just the, the gritty part of the season where you have to grind and get wins. And this may be more beneficial to the avalanche in the long run, like having to put your nose down and get to work and find a way to win these games that, everyone expects you to lose can do a lot for that playoff mentality. And we I briefly mentioned it, but the absence of Pavel Francouz now puts a big strain on Alexander Georgiev and what he's able to do and playing in back-to-back situations. Like Jonas Johansson is support. Now we've seen him at the NHL level. People, you know, are not thrilled. He's a great supportive AHL guy. He's a great person but he's not necessarily an NHL caliber guy in particular when a team like the wild who are desperate are rested and waiting for another team to fly in on the second of a back-to-back. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's safe to say to me based off Bedner's comments that your gift starts tonight. That's, you know, it's, it's 9am right now. We're still about 10 hours, I believe 10 hours and five minutes from a very late seven fifty two mountain mountain time puck drop on TNT tonight. Um, but this far in advance, I'm going to go ahead on go out on a limb and say that Georgiev plays. What happens with the St. Louis Edmonton back-to-back? Who knows? But right now, it's it's like there's no way the Avalanche turn to Johansson in this game. I just can't no, see and I think Georgiev has been playing well. I don't yeah. blame him for anything in that game last night. And I don't blame him really for much in the, the last Tampa game either. You know, And the concern then with Francois is are we starting to deal with injury issues that he had surgery on you know he lost pretty much a season with some injury issues and he keeps coming in and out and we don't really know what it is and 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 down the list Pavel Francouz has played 72 career regular season games that's it feels like he's been around for a very long time in those 72 games he's 43 21 and 6 like just a phenomenal record yeah 920 save percentage but yes, he is in and out of the lineup a lot. Uh, I think there was that stat that he's perfect in shootouts in his career. He's four for four. He's faced 12 shooters and he's stopped every single one. But think about that for a second. He's only played four shootouts. Like he's never the guy in that when those shootout situations happen, like yesterday. Obviously, Georgie was fine. Sam Coast Gordon, the other two, the other guy didn't. But something is up there with Frankie that is you know, could potentially be an issue, could potentially be something the Avalanche have to keep an eye on. And especially with these back-to-backs, like, you know, there's a little bit of breaks in between each set. So that'll give Georgie some time to rest. But 
like other than the St. Louis game, I can't see any of these games being an opportunity for Johansson to play and give him rest if Frankie is out the entire way. But if that's the case, St. Louis is a tough matchup in itself. You know, they, they seem to match up well against the Avalanche. Even this regular season where St. Louis has not been a good team, every Avs-Blues game has been a tough battle right to the end. And St. Louis is at 500 right now. You know, they are not out of it mentally. Yeah. You know, while they have an uphill battle, it's not going to be an easy game. And you get concerned about Georgiev's workload going through all of this again, entering the, the postseason. You want a goalie hot. You want a goalie comfortable, you know, playing minutes. But, you know, we're, we're far removed from a, a, a time when goalies are playing, you know, 80, 90 percent of the games and the backups only playing, you know, here or there and the second of a back to back or the first of a back to back, which I think, you know, the numbers really support. You don't want to wear him out either. And this is, you know, his first year as a starter. He has passed his career high in games played in a season. Yeah. And we have 30 games left in exactly 60 days. That's, you know, speaks to what you were talking about, the schedule, the second half of the season. Post-All-Star break, this is the stretch run. This is where you got to pack it in, jam it in, and really, like you said, put your nose down and go out there and win some games. It starts with this Minnesota game. If you ask me, this is a great opportunity for the Avalanche to come out, not just beat Minnesota, but beat the crap out of them. Really come away with a strong victory, a one-sided game, and build off of that. But obviously, right now, you take the points any way you can. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, Nathan McKinnon is still a game breaker. You know, he had two goals in Florida. He had a goal last night. He hasn't scored a lot of goals. He has put up a lot of points and has been a contributor. One thing that struck me last night is he kind of took the team on his back a couple times. You know, he he was very instrumental in in getting a goal. He had a a great shift leading up to that. Uh that his own goal, his tap-in goal on the pass from Byram. But I also was struck by some of the passes he sent to Val Nichushkin. Like, Val couldn't handle them. They were, like, bouncing off him. He couldn't wrangle him. You know, you wonder about his speed and timing and, and whether or not, outside of Miko, McKinnon really has someone he can play with. If If he does... I think some of these games against, you know, the Minnesotas and the, the St. Louis's probably go the Avalanche's way fairly easily. But, you know, I'm not so sure now. And that that gives me pause on the whole, you know, what does this team need conversation as well. Yeah. And Nathan McKinnon's stats right now, he's at exactly 60 points in exactly 41 games, which if he didn't miss games would be exactly half a season. He's fourth in the NHL behind the Edmonton guys and Kucherov in points per game. So he's still right up there. Uh, and he's right on the brink of catching Kucherov as well. So he's right where he belongs with McDavid, with Drysaddle, with the best in the game. The big thing for me, and you know, he started the season like this last year, but we're getting to that stretch run where this is the time for him to pick it up is he's shooting 7.9% right now. Um, he's just not burying the puck. And, and that's something that you are going to hope if you're the avalanche changes here soon, because the only two years he's had in the NHL worse than this in terms of shooting percentage, where obviously at the bottom of the list was the 16, 17 season that we all like to forget or remember, depending on how you want to look at it. I, and I drink to forget that one. I lived yeah. there. <laughs> and his sophomore slump season, 2014, 15, where he shot 7.29. So this is his third worst shooting percentage season of his career. Obviously the season's not over last year. He ended the season strong as well. Um, you got 30 games. If you're Nathan McKinnon, there's no reason why, even though you scored only 17 and 41, there's no reason why you can't get another 17 and 30. That's a very reasonable 40, 45 goal pace, very attainable number. And that's what the avalanche are going to need from this guy. They're going to need him up at over 30 goals, especially given the fact that they have no Landeskog, no Kadri, no Burakovsky. They've lost a lot of goals. The assists are great and he's well over an assist per game right now but they're going to need Nathan McKinnon to score more goals. He's done it the last few games. Very good of him, but he's got to continue that. Yeah, I thinking back on it, I feel like this is a concern that's in the back of my mind. Last season, he I think he did an excellent job of finally surrendering away from I have to do everything myself. Yeah. You know, I think he he found a comfortability, a comfort in 
we have the talent to achieve. We can come back. We can win. I can score. Miko can score. Lekkonen can score. Nichushkin can score. Landeskog can score. Kadri can score. It doesn't always have to be me. And that really served the team well. And obviously there are the gaps in, in talent and goals that we've talked about. But I do feel like there's a degree here and there of this team looking toward the McKinnons and Rantanens and Nuchushkins to carry them through a game to get it done. And that doesn't traditionally serve Nate very well. Yeah. No, he, when he has more on his plate than he should, he doesn't play as good as he, he usually does. That's just the reality with him. I mean, we saw it in overtime, even when he tries to get those rushes, it always ends up being some kind of a boneheaded turnover. And that's not what you want to see from your best player. Uh, last season, just to go back at his numbers, he scored three goals in the first 19 games and then 29 in the final 44. Yeah. Slow huge, start. Yeah. Solid. Slow start, huge finish, like 29 and 44 is well over a 50 goal pace. So you need him what like to, to, to be hitting those numbers. His assist might take a little bit of a dip, but that's okay. But that's what you want from Nathan McKinnon here in the stretch run. Obviously against Tampa Bay, he scored a big goal. Against Florida, he had a couple of big goals. And against Pittsburgh, he had the only goal. So if you think about it, the Avalanche only scored one goal in the first two games coming out of the All-Star break. And uh, against Tampa and Florida, these last two, they've scored eight. So yeah. of the nine goals they have scored coming out of the break, Nathan McKinnon's got four goals and two assists. That both speaks volumes to how important he is, but also is a little worrying that McKinnon has been in on six of the nine goals you have scored coming out of the break. Uh, that also speaks to the fact that Miko Rantanen has gone goalless in his last five games. I, I'm not going to throw anything at him, given the way he's played all season. Goals, goal scores are supposed to be streaky. This is the first time he's being streaky on the wrong side. Um, but that that's where this team is right now. They're, they they got to pick up the slack. You got to get some goals from Nachushkin. Lekkinen had one yesterday. You got to get it from wherever you can get it at this point. I was joking last night that... Miko is cursed to never score another goal again because he's at 199 on his career and he's just That's not going to get over that hump. I mean, this is a guy who has only been held the longest he's been off held off the score sheet in any capacity this season was four games in the middle. And, you know, he got two assists at Florida. He hadn't been on the score sheet the two games before. He wasn't on the score sheet last night. I think he's contributing phenomenally. But like you mentioned, McKinnon's impact on the, the last few games. Miko has been sitting at the top or second place of the largest percentage of his team's goals in the league with Connor McDavid as number two. Last night, Miko had 22% of his team's goals. And I joked when Lekkonen scored early in the game, right, that if you added Lekkonen and McKinnon's goals together, you still didn't equal Miko's goals. Like there, there is a, a very skewed top heavy disproportion of scoring on this team. And that ultimately is the real concern, right? Like Miko has twice as many goals as McKinnon does now. Yeah. And Lekkonen is right behind him with 16. And then there's an even greater fall off, you know, like there's not a lot of scoring coming from the guys that you are expecting. Yeah. Nichushkin started strong and then fell off after his first injury, seven goals in seven games. I want to say he's only at eight right now, uh, but I could be wrong. Let me double check that. Uh, up to yeah, Val had eight goals. He's only got one goal since, and it's been in the last 17 games. Um, but again, he's been in and out of the lineup. He's hurt. Like Val has got 19 points in 24 games. He's having an AOK season. Like, this is what you expect from a six million dollar player to give you around a 65 point pace, which is what he's doing. But he's got one goal since Madison Square Garden, October 25th. The last game he played before an injury, seven goals, four, seven goals, five assists in the first seven games. And since then, he's got one goal, six assists in his last 17 games. And he's been in and out of the lineup. There's been a lot of injuries in between, uh, but he's still effective in some ways. I mean, you saw him yesterday on the first goal from Lekkonen, parked his ass right in front of Vasilevsky, screened the goalie, beautiful shot from Lekkonen. But you want to get that scoring up from Nichushkin as well. So like I said, you got to get him any way you can. You got to take him any way you can get him right now. And and uh, it starts with McKinnon continuing this pace, Lekkinen continuing to add on, Rantanen breaking out of a slump, Nichushkin breaking out of his slump. And those are those top four guys that we talked about that have been overplayed this season. 
and then hoping for more depth goals from guys like Malgin, Cagliano, O'Connor the other day, and so on. And I think, you know, something we haven't really discussed, and I don't think it has been discussed much around the team lately, but that has played a role in this whole situation. Early in the season, all the guys were talking about how, you know, being the defending Stanley Cup champions, you are expecting the best game from the other team. And I think that that goes away here when you really get into the mud and just it's every other night or back-to-backs and you just have to go play hockey. But you you are seeing the avalanche being considered a measuring stick for every team. You know, I, I asked Rod Brindamore about it early when he was in town and he, he kind of played it off and he's like, well, we measure ourselves against every team we play, right? <laughs> but it's the defending Stanley Cup champions. I asked Steven Stamkos, does it feel good to get two revenge wins against the team that beat you in the Stanley Cup final? And he said, there's no such thing as revenge wins. It's a new season, blah, 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 blah. Immediately, Nick Paul was like, we know the history between these two teams and we want to beat them every time we play them. And John Cooper comes out and he's like, you know, to beat the defending Stanley cup champions twice in a week, you know, you hear this, this pattern in the the mentality and the speak of other teams. And it is still that the avalanche are a measuring stick injuries are no, and they have to be prepared to, to face the best of what the other teams can muster because every team is measuring themselves against this club. Yeah, even the Arizonas, the Philadelphias, the Vancouver's, they come out, they give their best effort when they can against the Avalanche because that's the team you have on the radar. I remember back to when the Avalanche were a non-playoff team for three or four years in a row. You always wanted them to play well against the Stanley Cup champs. They always played well against Chicago. That was their thing in the Varlamov era. Uh, that's that's what you want from you know your team against the Cup champs, and and that's what the Avalanche are facing right now on the opposite end. When teams with nothing to lose are more dangerous than any yeah. other team, right? Yeah. You've got guys playing for future contracts or, you know, future chances at the NHL. You've got coaches, you know, willing to kind of put things on the line to experiment with this or that scenario. And that's what makes them dangerous. There's like no complacency there. And when the pressure is off, teams can perform, you know, very well. And it, yeah. there's a degree of enjoying being a spoiler, I think, for teams that are really battling it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but with that, let's wrap her up here. 52 minutes because it's fun to talk hockey. And uh, I don't think you and I have an idea of how to wrap up a podcast without JJ telling us to stop. So, well, I mean, yeah, for your... having a producer yeah, play some music say, in my ear be like, yeah. okay, you have a radio show. You you can't go over a certain time limit. For me, I'll just keep rambling until JJ says we're wrapping it up. So I'm going to try to do that here. Um, like I said, JJ will hopefully see him back soon. Congratulations to him for having his first kid. The Avalanche are in Minnesota tonight, so they will be playing that game again. It's on TNT, so it's a nationally broadcasted game for everybody who's wondering. Uh, we'll see how that one goes. We'll probably be back here later in the week to chat more Avalanche. But thank you, Ryan, for joining the show. Uh, always a pleasure having you on. I think this might be the first time we have you on the podcast rather than me joining the radio show with you guys. But Finally. Yeah, right? Uh, but with that, I'll try to remember the way that JJ ends it. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you. Yeah.